The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. From the dawn of time, humans have been driving species to extinctions, and some, through evolution, have just faded away. But this is not the case with elephants. We are wholly responsible for their losses. Elephants are in crises. From poaching for ivory for overseas markets to destruction of ivory in an effort to take away value from the product and put it instead onto the live animal to getting them out of to captivity to stopping poaching of elephants for terrorism. No matter which perspective these efforts are tackling this issue, the end result is sanctuary on earth for elephants. A species that predates us by millennia, and on through that, our most recent history, a matter of few decades, may be gone from our world. So ask yourself how you will explain that in ten years from now, to the citizens of Earth, or to whichever gods and goddesses from whom you seek solace, elephants are gone. Elephants need us, as we have become the deciding factor. There have been many episodes of this program devoted to elephants and the many ways that you can help. In a world that is no longer simple, if you're an elephant, we're letting you know just how simple it would be to do something for an elephant in your day. So, on that note, I would like to welcome back a previous guest, Peter LaFontaine, with the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Ellie. Nice to be back. It's great to have you back. You and your colleagues, uh, uh, Grace Gabriel, and um, I'm sorry, his name is escaping me at the moment. Kel- Kelvin we- A. Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sure. We did a program about a year ago talking about the title of that was Wildlife Wanted, Dead or Alive, and many of the efforts that IFA is doing and the presence IFA has overseas, especially in East Africa, and the tremendous amount of work that you're focused on for elephants. So um, let's start by, how about catching up? What's been going on in the past year? Well, it's hard to believe it's been that long. It, uh, it feels like it was just a matter of months ago, but you're right. It's been, uh, been a while since we last talked. And in the interim, IFA has not been uh, holding steady. We've been uh, really pushing ahead and making sure that some of the things that we talked about last year uh, are progressing and also taking up some new projects. Uh, well, you're, think- you're very involved on 
many fronts, not only on-the-ground activities, and we're going to get into a project that really encompasses that, the 10 BOMAs, so let's save that for a little bit, but you're also involved on the legislative side, both here in the U.S. and in uh, Kenya, in East African Africa, working with governments. So um, help us just relate a little bit more that relationship of how IFA works. Uh, well, you're right. We do uh, work on the ground. We, we also work with uh, policymakers here in the United States and overseas. Uh, my job has a lot of those policy elements. Um, some of it is trying to work with Congress to make sure that legislation gets passed uh, that would uh, help with anti-poaching and anti-trafficking efforts. Uh, some of it is working with the agencies like uh, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service to implement better policies on things like uh, preventing... Uh, illegal ivory trade here in the United States. And you were very, IFA was very involved in the recent bans in some of the uh, cities, or excuse me, states in the U.S., uh, New York, weren't you? Yeah, we, getting... we've been, uh, been involved in the state campaigns. Uh, New York and New Jersey last year both passed state-level bans on the domestic ivory trade, uh, rather the intrastate ivory trade in those states. Uh, and We've been working with partners like the Wildlife Conservation Society, uh, Humane Society of the United States, uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, and lots of other uh, of the big national and local NGOs to make sure that uh, it's not just being pushed at the federal level. That there's also uh, recognition that what we do in our cities, what we do in our states, uh, does help uh, set, the, uh, set the momentum for the rest of the world and the country. Well, you're making it really... Um, important and highlighting the fact that it is going to take multi-agency, multi-level collaborations, partnerships, and efforts, both here in the U.S. and in every country across the globe, not just where elephants live, to protect elephants and stop the hemorrhaging, the losses, the, the killing, and re-engage and reunite and reconnect the compassion for this species that they're not just because they're wonderful to look at, but how necessarily important they are to our landscapes and to Africa. I mean, with tourism and and, uh, frights of uh, disease outbreaks or terrorism attacks that are happening uh, recently in Kenya, then it all has a huge effect. So um, tell us some of how the policy work that you do how, how do you go about doing that? Well, I think a lot of folks see laws, particularly when it's a, a prohibition or a ban on, on trade, like we're working on the ivory trade restrictions, they see it as sort of a negative. But we take a different perspective. Obviously, what it's trying to do is prevent uh, the illegal trade from occurring and to therefore prevent uh, unnecessary slaughter of wildlife. But Another aspect of it is that when you start talking about what we need to do to protect the species, you can decide on, a, on an approach, but an ancillary benefit of that might not even be ancillary. It might be one of the, the key benefits is to get people talking about uh, wildlife conservation at the, at the national level, at the state level, at the local level. So while the end result might be uh, you get a new law on the books that prevents trade in illegal, illegal goods, uh, you're also building awareness and you're building that conversation that can lead to even more productive activities. 
proactive wildlife conservation, talking about habitat uh, protection, talking about getting funding to the places where it needs to be in Africa, uh, whether that's uh, helping to train prosecutors and uh, other folks in the judicial system to better handle the cases that are cropping up more and more, or whether it's equipping rangers on the ground who in many cases don't even have uh, good equipment. They, they sometimes lack even the most basic necessities like uh, boots and uh, expensive weapons. Uh, really, it's, it's getting those conversations going and making sure that people understand the breadth of the issue uh, that the policy making is, is aimed at. So um, help us understand a little bit more. You've said a couple um, intriguing words here, illegal trade in ivory, which implies that there is a legal trade. And then there's been recent news that China has put a ban on trade or of ivory for a year. And I'd like to know from your perspective if that will really have any effect. And then I'd like to get into just what difference it would make to list for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife to list the elephant as endangered versus the listings it already has under CITES. So I realize that was a four-part question. No, that's so, all really so, good questions. But um, let's to start, start at the off top with there. yeah, uh, to start off with the the idea of illegal trade. Uh, up until very recently, uh, even though we had restrictions in the United States on what could be brought into the country, uh, folks were still allowed to bring in antiques. And what that was doing was, was creating uh, not only a, a lot of imports being brought into the United States, but also it, it masked uh, imports of illegal items. And some of that was market. innocuous. Yeah, a gray market. Some of it was as simple as uh, tourists bringing back um, souvenirs that, that had been bought in you know, like a local market in uh, Africa that may or may not have come from a recently poached elephant. Others, uh, you know, we have, we've seen cases uh, on a much grander scale of uh, poached, smuggled ivory being brought into the country, which in several cases has led to investigations and prosecutions. And so recently, the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, I guess it's not so recently anymore, last year, the Fish and Wildlife Service proposed what they're terming a near-complete or near-total ban on ivory sales in the United States. And the idea there being that because we don't have a good system in place of determining which of those items are actually legal antiques and which are not, uh, that it makes the most sense from a conservation perspective and also a law enforcement perspective, say, we just need to put a stop to the whole thing. It's not benefiting uh, anybody to have these antiques uh, be bought and sold legally, except for a select few. And the damage that it's causing to populations in Africa is, quite dramatic. So we are working right now to finalize those rules. Uh, Unfortunately, they're caught in a bit of a bureaucratic logjam. Might not be a surprise to some listeners of yours who operate in the D.C. community, but but the agency at this point has yet to formally propose the rule, and that's the next step in the process. When that happens, we'll be asking Americans from all over to weigh in and make sure that the rule stays as strong as possible. And that rule is to ban the import of ivory, period, or the trade uh, that, in ivory in the United States. We, we think, we, we haven't seen the text yet, but we think that what it would do is put restrictions on what you can buy and sell in the United States. And it would also cut off imports of 
ivory that is from sport-hunted elephants. Um, a hunter goes over on safari uh, to South Africa or another uh, African nation, uh, kills an elephant, brings it back. That's currently legal. And in right. some cases, uh, folks are bringing back multiple tusks at a time, dozens of tusks at a time, which we believe has no conservation value. I mean, there is no good reason why an American uh, should be allowed to do that when we're trying to crack down on the rest of uh, the killing of elephants. It, it sends a really bad message, and it's also not productive. Absolutely, and I've talked about this previously on, on the program. You know, we're creating a very sticky wicket and confusion so here we are allowing wealthy hunters to go kill a species that is on the brink of extinction. Okay, sure, maybe it's a problem elephant. Maybe it's an old bull. A lot of reasons that could be justified or used as excuses for the removal of this one particular animal. But we're still killing and paying for the privilege to kill an animal for its trophy, and its trophy is the ivory, where on the other hand, as you're just saying, um, we're killing poachers on the, and rangers are dying on a daily basis for doing the very same thing. Right, and you used an interesting term there, problem elephant. Um, that's, that's a pretty subjective term, but it gets Isn't used it though? a lot yeah. <laughs> by, the, uh, by the hunting community to make it seem like a public service that they're going in and helping out this... Um, you know, perhaps a, a poor community. Um, I think that if the evidence was all exposed to sunlight, uh, that it would be a lot harder for these uh, hunting groups to justify what they're doing on the grounds of conservation merit or aid to local communities. Uh, but none of them really want to see, seem to want to share that information. And I think we need to start asking, why is that? And why is the default position that... Uh, many government agencies, both here and abroad, have taken. Why is that position just uh, give the uh, put the burden of proof on uh, anti-trophy hunting advocates? Make the case. Um, right. You know, we've and I've been having recently many discussions on trophy hunting. It's been about lions and canned lion hunting, um, which. You know, elephants don't fall into that, into that, into that, that category, but the sticky wiggle remains. Um, there are many, many avenues to provide funding for conservation, for animal welfare, uh, through organizations such as IFA or any number of organizations that do pay for conservation. Hunting does have a place in conservation. We're not going to get into that. Hunting of elephants does not have a place, I don't think. Uh, in today's world, especially if it's just for trophy. Um, we do recognize elephants do wreak havoc. Um, they do create a lot of damage and destruction to a landscape, but they are also landscape architects. There would be species that would have a very difficult time surviving if they didn't have elephants to clear uh, areas. So um, it ends up being too many people, not enough space for elephants, the largest land mammals. So how how do we go about creating awareness and bringing all these diverse groups and sometimes diametrically opposed groups together? How does IFA do that? We've got actually we've just got a couple minutes, so maybe get started on that, and we'll pick that up on the break. Uh, sure. Well, 
We are trying to raise awareness uh, here in the United States through our push for these uh, new rules uh, regulating ivory trade. Uh, we're also working with partners in the NGO community uh, and others to talk about the crisis generally to make sure that people understand why these rules are necessary. And then overseas, we're doing lots of other things. We're working on uh, public awareness campaigns with PSAs in China and Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, we're working in Europe to make sure that those countries' laws are adequate to protecting the species. Uh, and again, it's it's not just one thing and it's not just one group. Uh, we need to make sure that all of these issues, whether it's uh, helping out rangers or whether it's educating the public, uh, are given the funding that they deserve and the attention they deserve. Well, you, you stated that very well. So, you know, we're going to cut away to a break here. And then we've got a lot of exciting issues that IFA projects that IFA is working on. So stick with us. My guest is Peter LaFontaine with the International Fund for Animal Welfare. And we'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Our Wild World with my guest, Peter LaFontaine, and we are talking elephants and the crisis that elephants are facing today. So in the first section, we uh, gave a brief overview of what elephants are facing and what IFA and other organizations are doing. And um, I'd like to just bring a little more focus on how important it is that our U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, bring elephants under the Endangered Species Act because it would be multi-pronged in the sense that uh, elephants are being killed not only as trophy, as we talked about in the first section, but uh, as the China market for trinkets. I'm going to call it trinkets. There's real, it's, it's a traditional, it's a cultural thing, but those things have been known to change. But it's also uh, ivories being used to fund terrorism. So how would the ruling by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife really cement this and pull this together? To uh, it's a good question. There, there are two things going on, on on two separate tracks right now. Uh, like I mentioned earlier in the program, just over a year ago, uh, on February, I think it was February 11th of 2014, the Obama administration announced a strategy to combat the illegal wildlife trade. And part of that strategy included uh, the, the plan that the Fish and Wildlife Service would close some of the, the loopholes in U.S. law that have allowed the U.S. ivory market to flourish. And we think that the Fish and Wildlife Service has done a a good job. They've, they've included all the folks that they need to be reaching out to. They seem to have uh, gotten to the point where they're almost at the, at the point of releasing these rules for public review. Uh, unfortunately, that, progr- that, that process has dragged out. Uh, like I said, it's been over a year now. Uh, and so back in this February, February of 2015, uh, IFA and uh, our partners at the Humane Society uh, decided that we wanted to uh, get another track rolling, which was uplisting the African elephant from threatened status under the Endangered Species Act to endangered status. And for your listeners who aren't familiar with the Endangered Species Act, uh, it's one of the world's uh, most comprehensive and important environmental protection laws. And in the United States, uh, uh, what it would do uh, well, let me let me backtrack just a minute. Currently, African elephants are listed as threatened, which is a lower level of protection. There are certain things that the Endangered Species Act or the ESA says you have to do for threatened species, and then there are certain things that it says you have to do for endangered species. And unfortunately, the African elephant has only been listed as threatened, even though we have really good scientific evidence that the species is in serious, uh, in serious straits right now and could use the added level of protection that an endangered listing would afford it. So back in February, we filed uh, a legal petition. Uh, that's, a, that's a legal document that lists all of, our, uh, all of the data, all of our rationale for uh, making the change to give it additional protections. And pretty soon now, within hopefully a month or so, the Fish and Wildlife Service will tell us what their judgment on our petition was. They can either say, uh, your petition is warranted, which means that the process will move forward, 
uh, and they'll they'll go about deciding whether or not to list it as endangered or not. Uh, and uh, they could also decide that it is not warranted, meaning there's not enough information to say that this is uh, this is a good way to proceed. We think that they're going to say uh, this is a warranted petition, and that will give the American public the opportunity to weigh in. Uh, make their feelings known with the Fish and Wildlife Service and hopefully improve the levels of protection for the species. Well, I find it hard to believe that it's not warranted. Um, So I certainly hope the amount of work that you and your colleagues are doing to pull this petition together uh, pays off, so to speak. So that leads me into into a comment. Um, You mentioned Obama's executive order. And then there's the Clinton Initiative. So there is a lot of money going in toward conservation of and protection of elephants. And yet we're still seeing elephants die um, by in, in masses more than they have died previously in history due, outside of natural causes. So a lot of the times you just need to talk about follow the money. Where... Or why isn't this money, why do, you said earlier, why are we still having rangers that don't have boots, that don't have equipment, that don't have the tech, technology and the training on the ground to, to make a difference where elephants live? Uh, I think, I mean, there's, there's two ways you could think of it. First is just that it, it takes a while for the funding to get to where it needs to go. There are lots of levels uh, that it needs to pass through, unfortunately. Um, lots of folks that need to sign off on checks, on forms. That's not a good answer. Um, I think that the, the better answer is that even the most well-intentioned of, of organizations are battling against a growing demand. And as long as there are people who want this stuff, uh, whether it's in Asia or Europe or the United States or elsewhere, uh, as long as there is a market for these wildlife products, Somebody somewhere is going to find a way to get at them. And when there's this much money involved on the other side, when ivory is selling for uh, as much as gold, uh, it becomes very hard for NGOs and for the limited funding that that government has to offer uh, to fight back effectively against that. And so when I mentioned earlier that we're trying to change how people perceive wildlife products, you know, when they look at at a carved tusk, do they see a beautiful work of art, or do they see the animal that it was uh, hacked from? Uh, that is a crucial element that can't be lost, is, is changing perceptions, is changing attitudes about what we should be buying and what it actually means uh, when we purchase uh, an ivory necklace or uh, you know, an ivory carving from a, from a retailer. Is that just about art, or is it about something much grimmer? You put that beautifully. I, I really want to thank you for that because that really hits the heart of the matter because that makes it about us. It's uh, conservation uh, organizations such as you or what I do or any number of people. It is going to take humans to change their perception of wildlife. And once again, I would love to direct our audience to the episode Wildlife Wanted, Dead or Alive with IFA and Peter the last time he was on the show because it really gave a good background to the crime that wildlife trafficking is. It's huge. 
and it's getting to the point where it is decimating our wildlife. So we have to change our perceptions. One of the projects that you're working on is doing just that and combining so many of the facets that you just talked about. It's the Ten Bomas Project, right? Uh, Ten Boma has some elements. Uh, it's definitely something that we hope will bring attention to the problem. Uh, it is more of an intelligence and security uh, issue than it is about consumer uh, perceptions. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, every, every element uh, that draws attention to the crisis uh, should be getting out there. Now, Ten Boma is a partnership that we recently launched with the Kenya Wildlife Service. And when you say uh, but, recent, we're talking very recent. We're talking last month, March 16th of this year. Yeah, yeah, it was just uh, just earlier in March, and uh, we're very excited about the potential for this project. Uh, Kenya Wildlife Service and uh, IFA have decided that that right now one of the one of the key areas that we need to focus on is making sure that we can stop poaching incidents before they occur. I know that sounds really um, sort of obvious. But a lot of the work to date has been about uh, intercepting, intercepting uh, shipments of ivory uh, when they're shipped overseas. It's been about um, breaking up poaching or uh, rather trafficking rings in Southeast Asia. It's been about all of these uh, things that occur after the elephant has been shot. And while those are necessary and can definitely help improve the situation if you break up these gangs and if you um, prevent the ivory from getting where it's supposed to be going. Uh, if you do that without actually stopping the poaching on the ground, uh, you're going to run out of elephants pretty soon. So Tenboma right. Right. is an intelligence gathering project. Essentially, we have analysts uh, who are working with IFA and KWS who look at reams and reams of data. They overlay uh, all sorts of patterns on top of one another. Uh, to try and see, A, what does a normal day in a certain village or a certain region look like, and B, try to uh, identify anomalies where something just looks out of place compared to the normal, uh, the normal scene, uh, whether that's um, thinking about movements of troops into and out of an area or uh, what sort of supplies are being bought up uh, at the local outpost. And take that information and make judgments about, huh, this doesn't look right. Something is going on. Uh, perhaps there's a, a poaching unit uh, massing in a certain area uh, in preparation for an attack. Uh, and then get that information into the hands of law enforcement and give them the chance to intercept these folks before they're able to kill the elephants. Uh, so this is this is thrilling. This is exciting. This is where technology and our ability today comes together to make a change. It's a it's a change in the model of way conservation works. We have to use the tools we have at hand, and what we have at hand today is technology. So how does this work with the village itself? How do you is maybe as simplistic simplistic as it sounds bring this down to the village level so that the village is also a participant because the, yeah, the, the Ten Boma project has its name comes from um, a, a traditional practice. Give us, give us a little understanding of why you're calling it Ten Bomas and then how it actually engages the community. Sure. So Ten Boma means 10 houses. 
Uh, and the idea there is that the communities themselves, uh, they don't benefit from poaching. They're actually uh, being harmed uh, whenever a poacher takes an elephant out of the ecosystem. It's really just harming the folks uh, who would otherwise be able to profit off it through ecotourism or um, you know, better, better rangeland management practices. And so we want to make sure that the communities are active and willing participants in this system. And that, that breaks down a couple of ways. The most uh, important, we think, is uh, making sure that uh, communities have a voice in the process, making sure that they are uh, able to report information when they uh, see things amiss, um, but also that the people that we're targeting uh, are the right ones. They're not just bystanders. They're, they're the folks coming in uh, usually from out of the region uh, and uh, committing these atrocities on uh, communities that, that otherwise would be on our, be on our side. And so do you, think, do, you, do you think the communities are on our side um, because a, a single individual will benefit from poaching an elephant? Um, they're almost disposable people in terms of the cartels. There's a lot of Africans, and they're surviving for the day. So an influx of money to go kill an elephant means something to somebody for that day. So how do we go about engaging? This is something I've talked about. We in the West, we're engaged. We're giving our attention. We're giving our time. We're giving our money. But how is IFA working with the communities to help them in their perspective that this really is, elephants really are your future, and that the moment for the day, the money you get for that day, is not going to help. How, how do we bring the African villager, because um, it's going to take a change in their mindset of thinking of the future. How, do, how does Ten Bomas work with that? Another great question. Uh, part of it is providing what's called alternative livelihoods, uh, making sure that if you're preventing a poacher from killing that animal, that he has something else to turn to. Uh, we're working, for example, on a project in Malawi uh, that provides alternative funding through fish farming, um, helping communities directly benefit from their natural resources. And then you have things like uh, we're working on uh, a Kittenden Carter initiative in Amboseli uh, National Park uh, that works with uh, the Maasai uh, tribesmen to set aside land uh, in a uh, responsible management, responsible development practices that will make sure that their homeland isn't just stripped bare in a matter of a decade or two, uh, that there are resources there for their future generations to uh, benefit from while also protecting elephant populations and many of the other wildlife species that exist. Good answer. Thank you for that. We've got about a minute left until we have the break here. So a big part of the, the problem is is getting people on the ground where elephants live engaged in understanding where their future is in a, in a lifestyle that you know, has traditionally been, let's just get through today. So if we can transfer, and this, 
you know, I think I'm going to save this for after the break. So um, I think we'll cut away to the break because I really want to get into some uh, exciting things. So stick with us. My guest is Peter LaFontaine with the International Fund for Animal Welfare, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World. And once again, we are talking elephants, the crisis facing elephants, and getting people engaged and aware of what this crisis is. And my guest is Peter LaFontaine. So, Peter, you're, you're very eloquent in talking about what you do. And we've been spending this hour so far talking about the passion and getting people involved to be aware so here in the West, it's hard to believe that there are still some people that are not aware that elephants are in crisis or that are not aware of the poaching and the uh, 
issues that are going on, funding terrorism and going for trinkets in Asia. But you have a personal passion that got you here. I understand you, you, your your part is the politics and policy. So how do you get there? What 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 turns you on, so to speak, to do this? Yeah, it's a, an interesting question. I uh, so I'm I'm sitting in my office right now, looking at the window on on downtown Washington D.C. and thinking back to when I first started off on on this career path. Uh, I was actually a uh, an outdoor educator in New Mexico. I was I was working with a, an organization called the Cottonwood Gulch Foundation, which is um, experiential education uh, in the Southwest, backpacking and uh, learning about nature and working with the native communities in the region. And uh, thinking about now how how most of my work is is office and policy work, uh, but it somehow feels uh, just as meaningful. I think. For me, what it really was was growing up in a, a pretty active family. We spent a lot of time outdoors, uh, did a lot of hiking, did a lot of, um, of outdoors and nature activities, and just having that that background of being being close to nature and going through that, and then working with with people who have been a little bit more city bound and don't have uh, necessarily a connection outside of maybe seeing what they've seen in the zoos or, uh, you know, on, on one trip they may have taken and, and really wanting to share with people why the natural world is so important. And I so think it's, it's about reconnecting, and I think that's a really critical part of what you do is somehow with all the work on conservation that we have done and the history we have here in the United States – geared toward land stewardship, the the Wilderness Act, the Endangered Species Act. Somehow over the last couple of decades, with our technology, as good as it is, we've become a little disconnected. So there is is a part of what you do in in creating policy to re-engage, reconnect that and expand that compassionate footprint. Well, that's one of the things that, that draws me to international species conservation work. I can prattle on all I want about how amazing it is to hike in the woods, but somebody that hasn't had that experience isn't quite going to connect on that level. But I can start talking about elephants and rhinos and cheetahs and giraffes, and people get it. People understand why it's so important to protect those species. Uh, it's just self-evident. And the policy element here, you know, like I mentioned, it's it's about changing the legal system. It's about making sure that we have the right rules in place. But really, it's about starting that conversation and making sure that folks are aware that, A, there is a poaching crisis going on. B, we are responsible for it. And C, we can, we can really work to change the situation and save elephants for your kids and our grandkids. And uh, that is not a hard conversation to have. Everybody wants to talk about it once, you know, once, we, once we start the convo. Uh, it just keeps itself going. And it takes it away from being an African problem to a world problem, which involves everybody, no matter where you are, what community you live in, whether it's inner city or a rural rancher. It reconnects us that without this earth beneath our feet, then we don't have much to survive for. Um, Sure, we could live in space, but what fun would that be? Nature is a part of us, and reconnecting with that and reengaging 
in these much more fast-paced, urbanized times is really important. So what are some of the other projects that you personally are really, really excited about? Uh, Personally, I I find uh, climate change policy really interesting, and I hope I'm not losing your audience to... A little daytime nap with this, but because what you're pointing out is they are connected. It it is really a web. So it really is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things from uh, how we decide to use fossil fuels to whether we're going to uh, really make the start the momentum rolling for large scale renewable fuels like solar and wind, uh, and what it means for the habitat uh, that that fossil fuel development currently is, uh, is destroying uh, and the animals that live there. I, I think it just all ties together. It is, like you say, one big web. Uh, well, it is. It's Habitat Earth. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. whether you live in D.C. or I live out here in the Aspen Snowmass Wilderness Area or somebody lives in L.A., it's all coming home. Climate change is affecting California and the way the water that's there, and it's affecting the habitat in Africa in terms of where wildlife can live, and we really are the deciding factor. So IFA and the programs that you're working on really do engage people on so many levels that it's difficult to say this is not my problem. It is every it is about every one of us. And that's what IFA tries to do. Um, we try to make sure that people understand the overlying issues. They they understand about uh, climate change and habitat loss. Uh, also, that they're aware of. Uh, dangers faced by populations, uh, herds of elephants. But then also we, we try to drill down to talking about animals on the individual level because we think that's really where people connect. As, as soon as folks understand that elephants are not that much different from humans, that they have a sense of empathy, a sense of joy, that they mourn their dead, uh, that they are in these very close-knit social, uh, social herds, uh, it becomes more personal it becomes the story is more compelling and uh it creates the sense that you know even if you don't care about biodiversity generally or you know think that there are more important things that we can be doing with with land that maybe that one animal's connection uh matters to some folks and, and help uh, help change the conversation absolutely and when it comes to a mammal the largest land terrestrial mammal the elephant it's not only an umbrella species, it's a keystone species, it's an architect, it's been here long before we were, and it would be a terrible shame if we were the demise of something that has long outlived us, and hopefully will, or has lived long before us, and will outlive us. So what you're doing today, uh, you know, we humans are sort of temporary in our uh, ways of thinking about time, but time overall is is very much about the future. So a lot of the projects that you're working on in IFA are geared toward a future that maintains and preserves uh, and conserves uh, these species for future generations. Any other uh, projects and highlights that are going on that uh, you're excited about? Are you heading to Africa anytime soon? Uh, I hope so. Um, I- the big project that, that I just wrapped up is about as far from Africa as you can get. Uh, we, uh, I follow along with our partners at the Wildlife Conservation Society, just released a report that was a, an investigative report of 
uh, Craigslist.org, the big uh, classified advertising website. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get into and, that a little bit. <laughs> sure. We, we found, uh, unsurprisingly but disappointingly, that there is a lot of ivory and other elephant wildlife products being sold on the site. And that's in direct violation of Craigslist policy. Uh, but as you know, uh, anybody who's spent any time on Craigslist knows that uh, you can find just about anything on there. And unfortunately, ivory is among those anything. So, so how we did reached you crack out to down the, on that? Uh, well, we reached out to the company, and to their credit, uh, very quickly they said, you know what, you're right. Uh, we want to make sure that people understand that this is a problem. And they added ivory to their list of prohibited items, which was a great step. Uh, now we need so, to work with them on making sure that that policy is enforced, uh, which will be perhaps a bit um, challenging. A, a, more, a bit more challenging. Um, but we're very pleased with the step that they've taken so far, and uh, think that you know, again, the attention that this is getting uh, just boosts the idea that the United States is. Um, you know, it does have a broken system. That right now, uh, it's not just China or Hong Kong that has a problem. That until we start getting our own house in order, uh, it might be tougher to point fingers. Absolutely. You know, if you live in a glass house, you shouldn't be throwing stones. So yeah. that opens up a doorway to the Internet at large and how much is available uh, in terms of illegal wildlife products, um, Facebook, that kind of thing. Uh, it gets into, once again, sort of a gray area. And you talked about it in the very beginning, banning. Um, you know, people look at it as a negative. So, you know, and rights. And, you know, whose rights count more, ours or everybody's? Are, are we something special over the uh, non-human beings that we share this earth with? Or are we a part of it? Do you, Does IFA have any ideas of how to go about... Um, if this is uh, this policy with Craigslist becomes successful, does that create sort of a template to go forward and find ways to clean up the internet and the illegal underbelly? Uh, we hope so. Uh, in the past, I guess half decade now, uh, IFA has been working with eBay uh, and some other online platforms, uh, Etsy.com, the, the big crafts retailer, uh, recently in a ban on uh, wildlife products. Uh, we've worked with companies in China, uh, Taobao, which is one of the largest um, internet peer-to-peer -peer sellers uh, in the world, has worked with us on policy initiatives. Uh, Craigslist is, uh, is just the latest in a, in a series of companies that we're trying to make aware of the problem and also uh, work with to improve their policy and make sure that they're uh, that they're leading the charge, that, that it's not just on governments, that it's not just on individuals, but that uh, corporate America is taking responsibility as well. Well, you've really opened my eyes today and hopefully our listeners' eyes um, and ears to just how involved this all is and just how involved an individual can get and that um, it really is a global world. It's a global village. We're on a huge planet, but that's getting smaller and losing resources and um, overpopulated by people, but that we can each take a role. So it's really opened my, my mind and hopefully everybody out there just how connected this, this all is, that it's 
you're not operating in a vacuum. Elephants is one issue, but it's it could be anything. Um, you could Im- input anything for elephant, and that you know wildlife trade and traffic. And we as a species really need to uh, clean up our own act, as you said, clean up our own house, and start taking a look at how we behave. So we've got just a couple minutes left here. What would be the takeaway that you would like our audience to to get today? We are doing a lot better than we were a couple of years ago. Uh, And by we, I mean the United States, the international community generally, at recognizing that we have a problem. I think the next big thing is to stop planning and to actually put some of these initiatives uh, into motion. It's it's the we've reached consensus. There there is we've reached consensus, so it's time to stop talking and start doing. Exactly, and uh, I think the United States uh, is in a real good opportunity to lead on this. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. We hope they propose their rules soon, uh, and then uh, there's lots more to be done. It's not going to go away overnight, but uh, you know, as soon as that first shoe drops. Uh, the others are soon to follow. Well, that's great. It, it does highlight that we do here in the U.S. have a great infrastructure where a lot of nations across Africa, when uh, the ruling party changes, everything changes. Here in the United States, we have an infrastructure that works and uh, that has been working for a long time, and we keep growing on it. So if people want to get involved with IFA, uh, how do they find you? How do they uh, get involved with some of your projects? Well, our website is at ifaw.org, and we have lots of things, everything from uh, elephants and rhinos to uh, working dogs to uh, rescuing animals that have been uh, stranded by natural disasters. So whatever your particular uh, focus is in the animal world, ifaw.org is a great place to visit. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about the ivory uh, issue, uh, we've got a a big page online for that as well, and... Uh, in particular, with the Craigslist investigation that we just report uh, released, uh, you can Google uh, "elephant versus mouse," and that'll be uh, the name of our uh, of our report. You can take action through our website there. That's a great title. So, whether your passion is animal rights, animal welfare, sanctuary, wildlife, illegal trade, elephants, any particular animal, IFA really does cover it all. So, do visit IFA, I F A W dot org, and learn more. And unfortunately, Peter, we are out of time today, but I so appreciate you coming back and filling us in. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So hopefully, uh, maybe in in some time from now, once we get uh, what's happened with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, we'll see some changes happen, and we'll get you and I fall back on the air. Hopefully before one more year has passed. (laughs) Hopefully things will happen a lot more quicker than in a year. So here's hoping. So thank you for everything you do. And that's it for today. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World. So go take some action. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.